Hello. Welcome to Secondhand Stories. My name is Mark T. Cox and I am a storyteller and a writer, performer, musician, general entertainer. My name is Helen Black. I'm also a performer. I'm an improviser and I'm also a storyteller. And together we run a show called Secondhand Stories and it's a live storytelling show. We started it about a year ago and we started running live shows with people, audiences all across London in little cafes, little small spaces. Um, we took it on tour. We went to Edinburgh Fringe Festival last summer and now we have created this digital experience coming live to your ears in podcast form. So Secondhand Stories, it is a true storytelling show. So the storytellers will still tell stories um, about things that have happened to them in their own lives. And this is the second episode of our podcast. Uh, each week we're going to have a different theme. We'll have a little chat about the theme and then we'll tell a story based around the theme. This week's theme is change. So obviously we're all experiencing a bit of life change at the minute and change to our routine. Um, but change could be anything really from major life events, changing jobs, changing partners or just hormonal change. So maybe you changed the color of your cabinets or maybe you changed your look. Have you ever changed your look, Mark? I've never changed my cabinets. I've changed. <laughs> I've changed my look. I change my look every day, really. Um, but I've I've had a few few milestones um, during my life. Probably a big change that I made was when I moved to London um, from Ireland. I moved about five years ago, and I moved uh, to very trendy Dalston, East London, and instantly felt very unfashionable and very uncool when I arrived here. Um, and did not fit in, and I probably took about two or three years to realize the secret of being accepted into East London was to get an earring. So I got I got myself one of those nice hoopy earrings, you know, the ones. And instantly I was very popular. I had all all the the fellas were talking to me and, and my life, my life changed. But then I realized very quickly that my um, my body is a bit sensitive and earrings don't agree with me. So oh, I've got an infection, which is horrific. And I had to lose the earring. And then I tried again about six months later. I got a second earring on the other side and that didn't work either. That got infected, which is it's not a very nice story. And um, so finally about maybe three or four months ago, I gave in and I got a little packet of clip-ons. <laughs> Have you got one clip -on. in Not right now, because no, nobody sees me now. But when I do, when I go out to the shops, I get my little clip-on hoopy earring and I pop it in. And you know, it, it makes a big difference. People, people notice you. They say, you can be one of us, Mark. You can be an East London homosexual. You're very welcome. So it's worked. That's my fashion tip for the, for the day. <laughs> Oh, lovely. I actually, when you were telling that story, I remember when I moved to East London first, I got a micro fringe to uh, try and... Uh, oh, the tiny... Oh, they're delicious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was, I actually did quite like it, but they, they're a lot of maintenance and it would be a very bad thing to have at the minute because you have to get them trimmed very regularly. But anyway, it's gone now. But I remember How when I was... How small was it? <laughs> oh, it was micro. It was very micro. I'd say really? It was, just a whisper? I would say it was, yeah, half my forehead, I'd say. Okay. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> Depends oh, on the forehead is, but yeah, it was small. Um, when I was about 12, we started going into town. Um, it was the first time we were allowed into town and I decided I was going to trial a new look um, that was kind of loosely based on Avril Lavigne. And I wore a tie uh, over my clothes um, into town and I was going to well I only had access to two ties my own school tie or my brother's school tie and I thought that that would be a cool thing to have the tie of my of a boy's school uh, so gender wore, bending hmm? gender <laughs> bending yeah 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 um, so I wore the tie uh, on the bus into town and I remember my best friend at the time was like um, why are you wearing Robert's tie and I was like, uh, I don't know. So I just took it off and put it in my bag. So, oh, no. And it was never seen. No, no. I just got too nervous. You know, I actually, that happens. What did you, <laughs> what did you team it with? Oh, I had this, um, at the time it was kind of cool to have like children's TV characters on mm. Your t-shirts in an ironic way, even though you know you weren't too long yeah. out of like them. So actually, I had this <laughs> Cookie Monster t-shirt that had capped cool. blue sleeves and a big Cookie Monster. So I had Cookie Monster on the t-shirt, and then the Presbury tie and some baggy jeans. You're pushing the boundaries there, Helen. What do you think of that look? <laughs> and still, it's still a fashion, fashion, fashion forward. I have to say, we'll get a few pictures of Helen. We'll put them in a link connected. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know who we are. <laughs> um, what else did I do? I mean, I had a, a few uh, bits of chains and things hanging off me when I was around 15 and 16. I thought I was, you know, really mm. pushing, the, pushing the envelope of badges, stickers, sewing on bits of patches to things. It was all very exciting. Well, nice. What would your patches say? Oh, just all things like cool. And <laughs> <laughs> like cool. Or maybe like a Pokemon patch, put it on my bag. I remember one of these one of these times that we had uh, that I, that we would go into town on the bus. Um, there was this shop in Stevens Green Centre in Dublin called Asha, and they sold incense. And I bought incense, and I thought it would be very cool to buy the marijuana flavored incense. You did <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't even. Wouldn't have even recognized the smell. But I went home and was burning it in my room. So like, I wasn't cool enough to be smoking weed. But I had weed flavored incense. And did your parents know? Would they know the smell? Oh, I'd say they did. I'd say they I'd just say thought it was a bit, bit tragic, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> they knew I wasn't smoking weed upstairs. So. Oh God. Oh. <laughs> Right, so uh, should we, we should we get into the stories, Mark? Oh, we'll have a story. Um, yeah, I have a story for us. I'll start today, will I? You're first. Oh, so we're going to tell. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I've lost my mind here. Um, Don't worry. And we did we did prepare a script, and then I forgot. Um, we're going to each tell a story on the theme of change. Mm-hmm. So, Helen, you're going to go first, are you? I am indeed. I am. So, this is a story that takes place uh, four years ago. I was living in London at the time and I got an email from a tutoring agency that I worked with, which was which was owned by a posh man. We'll call him Richard. So Richard sent me an email saying that he had had contact from a family who were looking for a teacher to travel around the world with them for a year and teach their three children. (laughs) 
So Richard said the family already had a bright young chap who was going to teach the kids maths and PE and they needed a female teacher for English and humanities. So he sent me this job description which said they were looking for a creative, enthusiastic teacher who could think outside the box and um, a good uh, good at conflict resolution was something I remembered. <laughs> um, so I was wondering what kind of conflict was going to be uh, coming up. But they wanted this dedicated teacher. And then one of the points also said that the applicant needed to be a reasonable skier. Reasonable. So um, I can't ski, but I, apart from that, I thought I'd be OK for this job. And the tutor would travel around the world beginning in September in in starting in European cities such as Berlin and Paris and Milan. And then skiing in, for, in oh, skiing for the winter in New Zealand, then on to Asia to finish the year in Hawaii, New Zealand and Sydney. And the tutor would be paid £200 a day for four or five hours teaching. And then obviously you'd have all your expenses paid for as well. So I had initially arrived in London because I was in a relationship with an English guy and I was also doing a master's. And both of those things had come to an end. And I no longer really had any reason to be in London. I was tutoring, but, you know, all those all the kind of part-time jobs I had could have been given up at a week's notice. And everybody I told about this job was like, you're actually in the perfect position to go for this job. Like, this is the change you need. You never in your life will you have this, like, amount of freedom to just be able to go and do this. And you'll see so many places and I was like, yeah, I think I think I'd like to do this. So um, apart from not being able to ski, I said maybe I could, I could learn that. So it was arranged that I'd have a phone interview with the family's dad. So um, Richard from the agency sent me the man's name a few minutes before the interview. And I like this was like two minutes before the interview. So I said, OK, I'm just going to have a quick Google of this man because I wanted to see I was like, who can afford to pay two tutors year round travel with their family like this kind of, you know, who is this guy? He's going to have some kind of a Google presence. And I was right. He was semi famous in his country where he's from. I won't tell you where um, because he was a white collar criminal. And so I was reading about all these people who cheated out of their pensions and uh, people had installed a bill, uh, paid for a billboard across the road from his house um, that just said like cheat or something on it. And um, it looked like he hadn't been living in that country for the last few years because of this. So then while I'm reading this on my phone, my phone starts to ring and it's him and I'm like, oh my God, uh, hello. So anyway, we go through with the interview and then later on in the day, um, I get an email from Richard who says that he's picked me, but he also has another girl and he can't decide between us. So he uh, wants us to go for in-person interviews with his friend who lives in London. And everyone I'm telling about this is like, this is amazing. This is such a great opportunity for you. And um, so I go turn up to this um, interview in this huge house, the biggest house I've ever been in, in Notting Hill. 
like it has pillars outside the door and I ring the bell and this like handsome older man with kind of blondy grey curly hair and these big white teeth um, opens the door and he's like oh hi Helen so nice to meet you or whatever and he is sitting at the table, this huge table, like the size of a bus at one end of the table with the other tutor, who is also a jolly nice chap. And they're asking me questions just about my um, my teaching history and what like kind of what I've done with kids I've tutored with in the past. And I was answering. And while I was answering their questions, I just got this feeling. I was like, I don't want this job. I don't want this job. I really don't want to do this. And then I think I just didn't want to learn how to ski and go with this family. And I I just knew in that minute that I just didn't want it. And then um, the guy who's interviewing me um, just kind of looks at me with a puzzled look on his face. And he says, I hope you don't mind me saying, Helen. Um, the other applicant just left and she seemed a little more enthused about the job than you are. <laughs> and I was like, oh, all right. Oh, I think, I think you should give it to her then. <laughs> and he's like, oh, oh, right. Do you think? And I was like, yeah, yeah. Like if she wants it, I think, I think she should have it. <laughs> he was like, Okay. Okay, well, that's that sorted. And then he kind of stood up and he shook my hand and we all kind of laughed. And I just headed out the door and I was like, what just happened? Like, was this this amazing opportunity that I've just given up? But I felt so relieved. And I think I realized I actually just I liked my normal life in London a lot. And there was no change in the story. My life remained the same after this. But I think it was this seemingly amazing opportunity that it took that to make me realise I was actually happy where I was at that time. That's my story, Mark. (laughs) That's a lovely story. Well done. I've never heard that before. No, I've never told it, actually. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) People are so good at telling you what would be good for you. (laughs) <laughs> people yeah, are so yeah. good at at advising you to take the jump take the leap um but it's easy for them to say they don't have to do anything <laughs> well like i saw something on twitter recently that was like um friendship is just um ignoring each other's uh advice eternally or something like that just just passing back advice and ignoring <laughs> it <laughs> did anyone tell you oh, of course they didn't know about the dodgy the dodgy boss well, I, I told <laughs> my parents about the dodgy thing and, they said, take the money. Uh, they were like, <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that's it. Like, it really would have been a lot of money because oh you wouldn't have had any expenses. But actually, I heard from uh, the guy who worked at the agency afterwards that the two tutors that ended up doing it um, had ended up being in touch with the guy that run the agency um, about problems they were having while they were on the trip like um, they were kind of being treated as nannies and yeah. they were make, being made work much more than they had you know and they I don't know had they actually signed contracts and things like that so you know God. probably was so a bit some, too good to be true so the best sometimes the best change is to actually stay not change <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's true and it's, it's very hard mm. to make that decision but you survived and now you're here with us look at me here you, lying on the ground gone, you might... <laughs> you're 
They might have never come back. Oh, well done. I like that story. Good job. Thanks. Bye. Have you got a little story for us, Mike? I have a story too. Um, get my bit of paper. So this is a story. I don't think I've told this before either. And uh, this is fresh, new, exclusive content here. Um, I was thinking about change and the same, same as you, those moments of like monumental change in your life. There's a few of those milestones that you go through school, uh, changing school, jobs, changing jobs, marriage. There's a few of those important times. And for me, I think the most, even still, I think the most dramatic change was when I moved from secondary school, high school into college. I moved to Dublin um, and I was 17 because everything changed. Like my friend circle changed. I left my family. I moved house. I moved city. My daily routine was changed. Every single thing in my life changed with that one day, with that one move. And that whole period from about June to September 2007, I think, um, probably the most stressful and chaotic time of my life because those exams, the the leaving cert exams, like the A-levels in, in British systems, um, I still think they were more difficult than anything I've ever done since. I've been to college. I've done lots of hard jobs. But I don't think anything has been more stressful than trying to study for those exams um, at the end of, of secondary school. Because at the same time you're studying, but you're also choosing your courses and you're choosing colleges and, and cities. And this is these are big life changing decisions. If you get them wrong, your your path is is gone down <laughs> down a different route. It's hard. So a few weeks after the exams, the results come out and you find out which college you're going to. So my first choice on the the CAO form, the, the college selection form, my first choice was to study architecture in University of Limerick. So Limerick was the closest city to where we lived. It was a lovely quick 40 minutes down the road, down the new road. They built a new road <laughs> when I was young. So Limerick got even closer, could fly down the road. And it would have been lovely. It's where most of my friends from school went. I would have been living with people I went to school with. I'd have a lovely time and I could come home to my parents every Friday evening, every weekend. It'd be great. But I didn't get enough points. My grades weren't high enough to get that course. So I couldn't go to University of Limerick. Then my second choice was to study architecture in University College Dublin, which I didn't get enough points for either. So <laughs> I did well. I didn't. I just didn't do that well. It's a hard course. Anyway, my third choice for a time on this form, uh, my third choice was to study architecture in WIT, which is Waterford Institute of Technology, um, which I actually did get the points for. But just before the final, final deadline for this form, um, I changed my choices because well, I didn't really want to spend five years living in Waterford. Because it's a lovely place. It's a nice, it's a small city. And I'm sure I would have had a wonderful time. And I maybe, maybe met the man of my dreams, might have met the woman of my dreams. Things, could, <laughs> things might have gone different. Um, but something just taught me wasn't going to be right for me. So I swapped my choices around and my third choice became actually the course that I, I got and I, and I studied. I selected landscape architecture at UCD, University College Dublin. So that was it. I got it and I was very excited because after all of this studying and chaos, my adult life was about to begin. And I had all of these ideas of what adult life was going to be. I had ideas about adults cooking pasta 
adults always bought pasta and cooked pasta. That's something that was in my head from watching TV. Busy, on the go, quick kind of grab and, and go. I'm very busy. And we never had pasta when I was small. Um, it sounds like we were like living on the side of a cliff or something. We weren't, but we just never had pasta. And the first time I learned about pasta was when we got new neighbours moving in next door. When I was about six or seven, um, new neighbours arrived, the Griffins. And they were from America and they had moved from New York and it was all very exciting. And these new American neighbours, they brought all kinds of unusual things. Uh, They had three girls who were about my age and there was very few young people living around where we lived in the countryside. So three new teenagers, children, was a large percentage increase in the number of young people. So it was big excitement, a uh, big change, you might say. Um, and they brought all of this exciting American stuff. They they had pasta, they had meatloaf, and um, the girls had Destiny's Child CDs, they had Jennifer Lopez CDs, big, big impact on my later cabaret career. Um, so it was a, a big, big time. Hello to all the Griffins if they're there listening. Anyway, adults cooked pasta and adults walked around on their phones, very busy, talking, talking. And I used to pretend that I was grown up when I was small. I'd walk around the road pretending to be on the phone, busy, busy, dying, just dying to be grown up. I just always wanted to be grown up. And now it was it was actually happening. And so the day came that we had to pack up the car and we had to head to Dublin. And it was about the 31st of August or the 1st of September, something like that. And it had been a tough few weeks. My mother was devastated. She was very upset. I was leaving. I was the youngest. I still am. I was the baby. Uh, a big baby now the size of him, she says. Uh, but she was very upset <laughs> because I was leaving. My father, my father was devastated. My father was thinking about the cost of sending me to live in Dublin for, <laughs> for four years. It was a very emotional time. And so we packed up the car with all of the things that I was going to need for my new life in Dublin. So we packed up the duvets and the duvet covers and the blankets and the sheets and the throws and the Valance sheets. Um, Do you know what a Valance sheet is? A a Valance sheet is the lovely frilly decorative sheet that you put onto the bottom of the bed to kind of dress up the bottom of the bed. So we put a few... (laughs) We put a few Valance sheets into the car, cushions and pillows and pillow covers and pillow slips and all the bits for the bed. And we brought some clothes as well. And we brought a lamp and a chair and a set of shelves. The car was packed, jammed going up the road. And we brought a few sentimental bits. I brought a few teddies and things and a few <laughs> a few faldides. That's my favourite word in the, in the world. A faldide. If you don't know, uh, faldides. Fald- <laughs> faldides are like... Um, like lovely bits that you have in a house. They've no function whatsoever, but they're just lovely to look at. So kind of like figurines or, or ornaments, or you might say. Um, if you went into somebody's house and if they, you know, really impressed you with their, their ornaments in the house, you might say, well, I, I went into Maureen's house above and, and you should see all the gorgeous Faldides that she had. <laughs> so we packed up all the Faldides. I had a few Pokemon figurines, bits, photos. I had this giant two foot square SpongeBob square pants stuffed toy thing. I, I, I don't know. I brought him. I had a guitar. I couldn't play the guitar, but I brought the guitar. I had these images of all these American films of sitting around the college dorms playing the, the guitar. 
packed full. We brought about 45 bags of shopping, groceries, tins of soup, bags of potatoes packed. And off we go up the road to Dublin. <laughs> and my mother burst out crying a few times. I probably burst out pr- crying a few times. Sadness. Burst out crying from the suffocation in the back seat of the car with all the furniture and the, the bedclothes and the faldides. Anyway, three and a half hours later, we got to Dublin and we arrived at the gates of UCD campus. And if you haven't been to UCD in Dublin, it's everything that you imagine a college campus to look like. It genuinely feels like one of those huge American campuses. It's enormous. There's 365 acres of land, one for every day of the year. I went on to work for the university later. That's another story. Anyway, enormous, just huge. And we found the accommodation village and it was a perfect scene, just literally from the opening of one of those American college movies, because I arrived a few days early. I don't know why. Um, so it was just me and all the international students arriving on this day. And there was Americans everywhere shouting and dragging big suitcases around. And there was Europeans sitting on the grass and they were having picnics and people of all colours and shapes. And I had come from the west of Ireland, where pretty much every person in my school was a pale white local person like me. And so this was an awful lot to take in, a lot of excitement for for me at 17. We got the keys, we went up the stairs into the little flat, house four, apartment five, Marvel, if anyone knows UCD. And I was the first to arrive, so the other housemates hadn't got there yet. And the three of us, myself, my mother and my father, up the stairs into my tiny little single room and it began the organising. Out came the duvets, out came the duvet covers, the blankets and the sheets and the throws and the balance sheets and the cushions and the pillows and the covers and the slips and all the bits for the bed, all the faldides. And I was getting very stressed. And I said, you know what? I can do all this later myself. I can do this later. We'll have a nice cup of tea. Went into the kitchen. We dug through the 45 bags of shop and found the tea bags, found the milk that we had brought from home as if there's no milk to be bought in Dublin. <laughs> found the milk, been sat in the car for about five hours. We had the tea and then the time came. My parents had to go. It was time for them to go. And my mother started delaying and she started walking around the flat, <laughs> just trying to prolong the process. And she started talking about doing little bits of cleaning and tidying. And she said, I'll just give the place a quick hoover before we go. <laughs> she was delaying. She said, I'll just give the ceiling in the bathroom a quick lick of paint before we go. <laughs> Anything just to slow down the process of, of having to go. But she had to go. And so down the stairs, the three of us passed all the Americans shouting, passed all the Europeans having their picnics into the car over for the final hugs. Very sad, very sad. This was a, a big change for all of us. And we all burst out crying again. And there was time to go and they drove out the gate. And I went back up the stairs into my tiny little kitchen. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God, I'm all alone now. They're gone. And the other housemates hadn't arrived yet. So I had this whole apartment to myself. Hello, Billy and John and Josh. Hello. <laughs> if you're listening, hello. So I had this whole, <laughs> whole flat to myself. And I sat looking out the window and I said, OK, I'll, I'll do something now. I'm a grown up. I'll, I'll go to the shop. Off we go down the stairs, around the corner. Very confident, very mature. I have total control of my life. And as I started to walk along, I got less and less confident, started to panic. I took out my phone, pretended to be on a phone call, very busy, very important, just tried to cover the, the chaos that was going on in my head into the shop, into Centra, 
the college campus shop. You can imagine what they sold in, in Centra. Lots of, lots of noodles, lots of tin soups. And I found the pasta aisle, the largest aisle in the shop. And I bought my pasta. I had 45 bags of shopping in the flat, which I needed to eat, but I wanted to. And I bought my pasta, little bow tie shaped pasta, I think. And I bought my tomato sauce, maybe tomato and mushroom. I don't know, something delicious. And I went up to the little kitchen and I cooked it and I sat back. And as I put my fork into those lovely little undercooked pasta bow ties, I knew <laughs> that my life had just taken a huge change. And that's it. Thank you. <laughs> oh, look. Oh, applause, applause. Oh. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't have pasta. We never had pasta with spuds, with potatoes. Literally, the Griffins arrived with bags of pasta. <laughs> Changed my life. South America. <laughs> the pasta capital of the world. It's New York. It's very exciting. They're probably from like the far out suburbs of New York, but they were, for me, they lived in downtown Manhattan. <laughs> that's that's what I imagined. Carrie <laughs> Bradshaw's moved in next door. <laughs> Genuinely, all sorts. Oh. Oh. Did you get on well? Did you like it? Oh, I loved it. I made I genuinely made friends living on campus that I am still friends with today. Because we we didn't I didn't know anyone. Nobody from my school went to that college. So I was the only person. So I was I was totally alone, which is great. Because I think if you go to college with friends from school, often you just hang on to them. Even if you don't like them, you just you you've been told that they're your friends, so you have to stay close to them um, but this was uh, this was a fresh start it was great it was it was, it was fantastic um, Billy and John and Josh they were my housemates we had a right old time yeah it's good it's good <laughs> now well um, now we must say thanks to all the people that are listening and listen to our first episode mm. or go back and listen to we the first to- one as well yeah Oh, yeah. And we had some really nice feedback. So thank you to everybody who got in touch to say they liked our stories from last time, Um, particularly all the people who got in touch with me and said that they were my friends for the last 20 years and they never noticed my gammy tooth. (laughs) That's very nice. They've gone back through photos now trying to find it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that's true. I think they knew. (laughs) Or they're just like. But kind of them, Mark. Oh, God. That's it. We'll get in touch. Uh, send us your stories if, if if you've anything you'd like to tell us. You can you can send stories. Let us know. Um, if you'd like to listen to something, if you have a theme, if you have a an idea, tell us. You can find us online. We have Twitter for Secondhand Stories London, um, or just follow us individually. So you can find Helen Black, or you can find me, Mark T. Cox, and we we do other things as well. So, um, say hello and. That's it, I think. I'm going to go have a sit down now. I'm very excited after all that. <laughs> oh, you know that. Okay. Well, that's all. Thank you very much. That's it. Bye, 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 bye. <laughs> oh, I have to press stop now. Bye. Bye. Ah.